Some of us spend time every day exercising certain muscles, and we want them to develop. We say, "I haven't run for a week, and I can feel the difference." I said, "We say that. I personally don't say that. Um, it's a lot longer than a week." But if a week goes by without exercising faith, you will notice the difference. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, are you admitting here that you're not always at the gym, that you don't actually work out? I, I claim to regularly walk around the block,、okay. um, which which does not impress my older son, who's a physical education teacher and、uh, and also an Ironman to boot. So it's pretty hard for me to compete with him. I don't know where he gets his ability from in that regard. You do say if a week goes by without exercise, you do notice a difference. So how do you exercise that muscle of faith? Yeah, I think that the analogy is profoundly helpful. That faith does、uh, strengthen by use, and that's the point here. That in the same way as by using a muscle, it becomes stronger, and by not using it, it tends to atrophy. Faith goes stronger by the use. So it is in the act of trusting Jesus over particular problems and particular circumstances that I actually grow stronger in the faith. And if I don't exercise faith, like the disciples, remember Jesus says to them, "Where is your faith when there's the storm on the lake? Why are you not using it? You're just sitting there, and it's like a muscle that's not being used. And without being used, it's going to go to waste." Well, that's something we all want. So let's look at how we exercise faith. Where in Luke chapter eight, as we continue the message, diminished growth. Here's Pastor Colin. Well, I want us to see three things that arise from the scriptures this morning. The first is that faith factors in the ability of God. Faith factors in the ability of God. Now, if you will glance back in your Bibles for just a moment, a few pages, you will see. If you look back to Luke in chapter four. That the disciples had already seen incredible demonstrations of the power of Christ. Just flicking through very quickly, if you look at、uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter four and verse thirty-one, you'll see there. There's a story about how Jesus drove out a demon. He has authority even over the powers of darkness themselves. Chapter four and verse forty, we find Jesus healing. People who have all kinds of sickness, and every person—not just some, but everyone who was brought to him at this time—was healed.、Uh, chapter five and verse twelve: Jesus heals a leper, an extraordinarily complex disease. Chapter five and verse seventeen: the wonderful story of Jesus healing the paralytic. This was the man who was dropped in through the roof by his four friends. And then, if you go on to chapter seven, at the beginning, you'll find Jesus healing a centurion servant. This was an amazing miracle because Jesus didn't even go to the man's house to heal him; he simply spoke. And when Jesus just speaks,、uh, there's a healing that takes place several miles down the road—an extraordinary event. Then, most of all, chapter seven and verse eleven, Jesus comes to a town called Nain, and as he arrives, he meets a funeral procession. Can you imagine this? It's the funeral of the only son of a widow, and Jesus, filled with compassion, stops the procession, touches the coffin, and this man gets out of the coffin. Incredible, extraordinary miracle, revealing one of three occasions in the Gospels where Jesus raised a person from the dead. Now the disciples had seen this. The disciples were there on each of these occasions. 
They had seen then that Jesus has power over demons, Jesus has power over disease, and Jesus has power even over death. They have seen a revelation of the unique glory of the Lord. They have seen the ability of God. Now, in chapter 8, the story we've come to today, they're on a boat, they're on a lake, they're in a storm, and the problem is that although they have seen the ability of Jesus Christ, his power has been incredibly and repeatedly revealed to them. They are unable to make the connection between the power of Christ on the one hand and the situation they find themselves in on the other. They can't bring the two together. So although they know about the power of Jesus Christ, they look at the situation of the storm and they evaluate it in purely secular terms. We're in a storm, big storms, boats go down, we drown. That's all they could see. And so they panic. And Jesus says, where is your faith? You've seen what I can do about demons. You've seen what I can do about disease. You've seen what I can do in the face of death. And now you're in a crisis and you're panicking. Why could you not factor into the crisis that you're facing now what you already know about what I can do? Where is your faith? Now, here's my very practical question for application this morning at this point. Where do you need to exercise faith in God? Where do you need to factor in the ability of God? Is it loneliness? Is that the big storm for you? Is it the spiritual blindness of some members of your family? Is it a health issue? Is it to do with marriage? Is it the battle to live an authentic Christian life? Is it the fear of being different? What's the big battle for you where you need to factor in what you know about the ability of God? Because the danger is that when we look at the crisis we're facing in what we call the real world, we evaluate it in purely secular terms. We don't connect what we know about Jesus to this situation. And that's why we go around saying, you know, there's no hope. It's beyond what I can do. I can't see any way out. I just don't have the strength. Have you factored in the ability of God? For the living God is the God of the impossible situation. Second thing. Faith not only factors in the ability of God, but faith submits to the sovereignty of God. It's very important. Because, you see, as soon as we talk about the ability of God, we are faced with some serious questions that may already have occurred to you. We rejoice in stories of God's miraculous intervention in people's lives, like the one that has just been related, bringing salvation, deliverance, healing, And we know that God is able to do these things. Our question, of course, is, well, if he has this ability, why are there other situations in which he does not do them? Now, faith factors in the ability of God, but it does more than that. It also submits to the sovereignty of God. 
And if you factor in the ability of God without submitting to the sovereignty of God, you will soon find yourselves in all kinds of confusion. That's so important, I'm going to say it a second time. If you factor in the ability of God without also submitting to the sovereignty of God, you will soon find yourselves in all kinds of confusion. And that is where many Christian believers are. J.C. Ryle, in the 19th century, famous bishop of Liverpool, preached a very famous sermon on the storm on the lake, and I'm going to read a paragraph from it. He points out that Christ often leads his people into storms. If you are a believer, he says, you must reckon on having your share of sickness and pain and sorrow and tears and losses and crosses and deaths and bereavements and partings and separations and vexations and disappointments so long as you're in the body. Has he given enough variations on that for you to get the point? Christ never undertakes that you shall get to heaven without these. How should we know who are true Christians if following Christ was the way to be free from all trouble? How should we know the wheat from the chaff if it were not through the winnowing of trial? How should we know if men served Christ for his own sake or merely for selfish motives if his service always brought health and wealth as a matter of course? The winds of winter soon show us which trees are evergreen and which are not. The harvest of the Lord's field is seldom ripened by sunshine only. So if you desire to serve Christ and to be saved, I entreat you to take the Lord on his own terms. Make up your mind to meet with your share of crosses and sorrows, and then you will not be surprised. For want of understanding this, many seem to run well for a season, and then turn back in disgust, and are cast away. Now, let it be very clear from the story this morning, as well as from the history of Christian experience, that God never promises a storm-free life. Whose idea was it that they go across the other side of the lake? Look at verse 22. One day, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over the other side. He got them into this. Following Jesus led them right into a difficulty that they would not otherwise have experienced. They could have been having a barbecue on the beach if they weren't following him. And it will sometimes be like that. There will be situations in which your life would have been easier if it was not for Jesus. Christ never promised fair weather sailing. Only he has promised that we will arrive at the destination. And it's very important for us to remember that God has a place for storms as well as for still waters. You're listening to Open the Bible with a message called Diminished Growth, part of our series, Faith with Questions. And if you miss any of these messages, you can always catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. There you can stream any of the messages, and you can also download the messages as an MP3, completely free. There's also an Open the Bible app. If you want to receive that, just go to your normal app store and search Open the Bible. Again, that's completely free. However you listen, online, on the radio or the app, it's only possible because of your generosity. So thank you again for giving and supporting this ministry. We'd love to send you a copy of Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World as a thank you for your financial support in setting up a donation of at least £5 per month. 
Find out more or give online at openthebible.org.uk. Now we're going to return to diminished growth. Here's Pastor Colin. It's very important for us to remember that God has a place for storms as well as for still waters. So while faith factors in the ability of God, and I desperately need to do that, I at the same time need to submit myself to the sovereignty of God. Biblical faith is never a matter of coming to God and saying, it has to be this way. Faith submits to the sovereignty of God. It uses its freedom to ask of a God for whom all things are possible, but it always submits its requests to the sovereignty of God. Of course, the great model of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the three characters in the story of Daniel who were put in the fiery furnace, and they said to the king, our God is able to deliver us from these flames. You see, that's factoring in the ability of God, isn't it? But, they said, even if he does not, we will not bow down to your idol. That's submitting to the sovereignty of God. And that, by the way, is the difference between biblical faith and the psychology of positive thinking. And it's very important for us to understand the difference between the two. Some Christians have got these two things completely confused. Positive thinking is all about mind over matter. The power comes from inside me. I make the change. That's what positive thinking, psychology of that school is all about. But biblical faith is the power of God over matter. The power comes from God. God makes the change. There's all the difference in the world between these two things. That is why biblical faith must in its very nature submit to the sovereignty of God because no power in the world can make God do what God does not want to do. So if you want to discern when you're listening to teaching whether you're hearing the power of positive thinking or whether you're hearing biblical faith, and you will often need to discern between these two things these days, Just ask the question, who is ultimately in control here? And if the answer to that question is, you are, then you're listening to positive thinking, not biblical faith. That's how you know the difference. Be sure that you remember to apply the difference. That's why it's a great cruelty, you see, when someone says, after uh, perhaps there has been prayer for, for healing, oh, well, you know, it didn't happen because you didn't have enough faith. And you just don't know which world you're in when you hear that kind of thing. Biblical faith factors in the ability of God for whom all things are possible, but at the same time it submits to the sovereignty of God who does whatever he pleases. And remember that there is a place in his plan for storms as well as for still waters. Faith factors in the ability of God. Faith submits to the sovereignty of God. And then finally this morning then, faith trusts intentionally in the goodness of God. I want to emphasize that word intentionally. Because faith is not something that works automatically. It does need to be brought out of the display cabinet. I've been greatly helped many times by an illustration used 
by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Most of us have at home a heating and a cooling system that works on a thermostat. Now, a thermostat is a marvelous thing. You set it to click in at a certain point. In the summer, when it gets hot, the thermostat clicks in and turns on the cooling. In the winter, when things get too cold, the thermostat clicks in and uh, starts the heating. And the marvelous thing is that once you've set it, it all happens automatically. You don't even need to be in the house. Marvelous thing, an automatic thermostat. Now, a lot of people have fallen into the grave mistake of thinking that faith is like a thermostat. You've got the idea that it somehow should click in if you have it automatically. That when some great crisis comes, there should just be some way in which automatically your faith buoys you up, rather like a kind of ring holding you up if you were in water. Now, you only need to look at this story in Jesus' question to understand that that is obviously a complete fallacy. If faith worked on automatic, it obviously would have clicked in in the storm on the lake. And the disciples would not have been in any difficulty. But when Jesus says to them, where is your faith? His question makes it very clear that faith works on manual, not automatic. In other words, you have to put it into operation. And that's what the disciples evidently failed to do. You have to take your faith out of the display cabinet and apply it to this particular situation that is weighing on your mind right now. There is an intentional activity here. You look straight in the face of the pressure and the situation that is facing you, and you factor in the ability of God. You then, knowing that this God can do exceeding abundant above all that you ask or think, you submit yourself to the sovereignty of God. And then you trust intentionally in the goodness of God. You refuse to panic. Because you know that whatever happens, your life and everything that concerns you is in the hand of this God who loves you and who plans for your ultimate good. And when you have worked that through, you will then be in a position to begin to think with faith. That'll change your patterns of thought. To pray with faith. That'll bring prayer alive for you now. To speak with faith. People will say, my goodness, he's entirely different in his attitude to this situation. And to act with faith. The world will begin to wonder what made the difference. Now, here's the very last thing this morning. In this series, we've identified each week a spiritual discipline that will be like a prescription for each of the varieties of doubt. Now, what is the prescription for a person whose doubts arise from diminished growth? Whatever you do, don't send that person to the classroom. That's not going to help them, is it? It really isn't. 
If your faith has been sitting in the display cabinet instead of being used, there is only one answer to this condition, only one way in which you're going to move forward. You ready for it? It's a spiritual discipline of service. Of service. What I want to say as the last thing this morning is simply this. Some of us have been splashing around in the shallows of faith for too long. And what you need more than anything else is a man or a woman-sized challenge. You need to be stretched outside of your comfort zone to the point where you're beginning to exercise the faith that God has given you in the accomplishment of what he has tasked you to do. When Christ asks, where is your faith? If the answer is, Lord, it's on the display cabinet, then it is time to ask the question, well now, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And that really is the only way in which you're going to move forward from where you are right now, if this is your condition in your Christian life. And I'm more deeply convinced than ever before that Jesus Christ calls us all out of our depth. He invites us to launch out into the deep. For some of us, the reason that we're really struggling right now is that we have remained in a sort of kindergarten of faith. We've never allowed Christ to really stretch us with something that will cause us to cast ourselves anew on him. And he says to us, let's go over the other side of the lake. Where is your faith? When Christ calls us to launch out into the deep, there may be some big storms. But if you are where Christ wants you to be, and you're doing what he's called you to do, he will bring you This is Pastor Colin, and if you are feeling stretched in your service for Jesus Christ, I want to give you a word of encouragement today. Don't draw the conclusion that you're in the wrong place just because you're finding it difficult. It may be that the fact that you're really stretched right now is precisely the evidence that you are exactly where God wants you to be. You know, when I began as a pastor, One of the tutors I was close to in the college where I trained sent me a letter that I treasure to this day. I was 22 years old and I'd been called by this church to serve as their pastor and I wanted to know how to respond. And as part of trying to discern if God was calling me to do this, I asked him for his advice and he wrote to me and this is what he said. He said, Colin, if you take this on, you are going to find that you are out of your depth and you will find that you proved God in ways that you never thought possible. And you know, that has been the story of my life. I found that God has kept pushing me out of my depth and that in that, I've discovered more of his grace and of his sufficiency and of his power. My prayer for you today is that that will be your experience. Don't be discouraged because you're stretched. We follow the Christ who calls us out of the shallow waters to follow him into the deep. 
Thanks, Colin, for sharing that. You've been listening to a message called Diminished Growth, part of our series, Faith with Questions. And if you miss any of the messages, you can catch up on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us next time. This program was a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. You can't resolve this kind of doubt by reading a book, taking a class, or making a new commitment. Find out what it is next time on Open the Bible.